What up, all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there? Thank you for joining me, and happy holidays. This is episode 110 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I sat down with Sarah Abelhausen. She is a freelance marketer living here in Chiang Mai, Thailand. She is recently location independent from the 9 to 5 in America. And I thought it'd be cool to bring her on and just kind of share her story. She comes from an immigrant family who fled Lebanon during the Civil War, and her parents had like many immigrant families, high hopes for her to achieve the American dream, which in many ways, for a lot of us, the American dream has transitioned online. And for many of you out there, including myself, it's always hard to get people to understand that there's opportunities outside of being the classic doctor, lawyer um, within your own society. And her story is awesome. And she drops a lot of value bombs on us. And I think really, for me personally, inspired me to just refocus a few things and get my act together in a lot of ways. You know, I I am living this life and trying to produce a business that's more viable, sustaining this lifestyle. And she really came on and and just her episode really got me psyched to keep pushing and focus in on a few things that I've been lacking. I actually have a meeting with her uh, tomorrow. So we're going to go over my marketing strategies for surf progression techniques, my online surf consulting business. If you're a first time listener, please pull out your phone and hit subscribe. If you like this episode after it's done, please rate it and comment on, comment on it on your podcast player or iTunes. It really helps me in the ratings on iTunes when people are commenting and, and rating me. So please take the time to do that. It really helps me out. I appreciate it. You can also follow me on Instagram. You can visually see what's going on in my life, where I'm at, the things that are going on, and how I am designing the life that I've always dreamed of. And if you love Misfits and Rejects and want to support the podcast, you can do it via Patreon. That's Misfits and Rejects at Patreon. That is a platform for fans to support the content creators like myself that they follow the most with a monthly donation, whatever it may be, $1, $2, $5, $10, whatever you can afford. It's all appreciated, not expected. And with that said... Please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Sarah Abelhausen. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Kruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today, I'm joined by Sarah Abelhausen, a lovely member of the team that we are in together for this Get Shit Done retreat that really changed my projection in my, I guess, online business career, who is somebody who just, I think, made a life change pretty recently to kind of swing the bat at something she's really wanting to do and I thought I'd bring her on to kind of share her story so Sarah yeah. welcome to the show thanks Chapin I'm really excited to be here <laughs> yeah it's nice to have you it's gonna be fun to kind of go into your story and just because I think from a misfits and rejects perspective you kind of are doing what I think a lot of people want to do but haven't taken that first step yet I'd love to kind of get into where you were before this what motivated you to get out and then where you're at today but before we do that Maybe just give us a little bit of your background. I know you're from Virginia. You're born in Long Beach, grew up in Virginia. What was childhood like for you? Yeah. So, yeah, like you said, I was born in Long Beach. Um, family had been living there for a while. Um, they were immigrants from Lebanon. So California was kind of the place to be after I was born. Just got really expensive. So family packed up, went east. And, yeah, my childhood was pretty 
I guess you could say traditional, like I went to public school. Um, Virginia's interesting. It's kind of the South. So, well, it is the South. Um, so yeah, it was very traditional. I mean, my upbringing was very much like you go to school, you get good grades, you go to college, and then you get a job and you do the whole like nine to five thing. Um, and especially being the child of immigrants, I feel like they place a lot of weight on that like traditional American dream path. So I pretty much didn't know that there was any other options other than just doing those things that I was supposed to do. Right. When you say like traditional, are you talking like Lebanese traditional upbringing or like American? Uh, I guess it was kind of a fusion of both. It was, my parents were pretty like Americanized. They had lived here for a while, but it's definitely like the immigrant mentality to always be hustling and always like try Like you have to try harder to kind of get the same results. And so like in that sense, like the values instilled in me were to overachieve to overachieve yeah it was like b's were not an option a's were the only thing like you have to just do your best all the time and achieve like the highest standard pretty much all the time cool yeah. i want to talk just real quick about being a lebanese family living in west was it just virginia in virginia, virginia. was yeah. that an issue i mean was there any race issues did you notice anything like um, that or not that virginia is a racist place but no, you know, that's it's... like totally a fair question. So there's actually a lot of Lebanese people there. Um, interestingly enough, there's like a pretty good Lebanese community, but yeah, pretty much everyone else is white. Actually, no, that's not true. Um, there's a good mix of like white people and black people, but there's not really a whole lot of like other ethnicities in Virginia, especially where I grew up. So yeah, it was like, it was very weird, not weird, but, um, I can't think of the word now. Um, but yeah, it was kind of like, you talk about like misfits and rejects that kind of never really like fit into one group. Cause like my parents are super Lebanese. Like even though they lived in America, like you just like see them in a restaurant and everyone's just like shouting in Arabic and it's just like, yeah, it's like kind of polarizing from like what all the people in Richmond are used to. So there was some like, there's always like weird stares and you know, like certain people like making snarky comments okay. and things like that, but it never really like. It never bothered me at the time till I think back and th just think, th think about things. I'm like, oh, yeah, that person was probably really racist and I didn't know it. And I just thought they were like being kind of a bitch and like, but it probably all went back to specific things. Also, it's like where I grew up, it was really heavy church culture and like my family's not really religious at all. So just the fact that like I didn't go to church was like really jarring for some people. Um, so that was also like, and my parents never explained you're different than everyone else because we immigrated here. It was never really like a conversation. So I kind of had to just like figure that out and power through all like the uncomfortable youth stuff, you know? Right. As we do. Yeah. Did um, your parents raise you speaking? Um, Arabic. Yeah. Arabic. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, yeah. I speak fluent Arabic. Yeah. My parents taught me that when I was younger and I kind of tried to stick with it. Because some, like some families just totally reject it. Yeah. They're bringing their language into the family when they're in America. They just want their kid to be Americanized completely. Yeah, totally. And I definitely fought it when I was younger. I was like, I don't want to know this. I don't want to speak it. I'm so embarrassed. Um, but now I'm like really grateful that I can speak two languages. It just makes things easier. Now your parents fled what the civil war that was going on. Yeah. So my mom, yeah. In like the seventies, there was a, a pretty bad civil war going on. That's when my mom came over. She was super young. She was about like, she was school age. I think she was like seven or eight. 
but then my dad came over as an adult. So in like the late eighties. Yeah. Um, so he kind of stayed there through the civil war and came a little bit later, but actually there's pretty much war there going on all the time. So which war did they flee from? It's just, yeah, it's always pretty volatile. What did they do as people in America? What they would do for work? Yeah. So my dad worked just like a bunch of odd jobs. He used to tell me stories about him working at a donut shop, like graveyard shift. It was a 24 hour store and just like in the middle of Long Beach in like 1989, which seems like a really interesting place at that time. Um, my mom, so my mom actually like grew up really traditionally. She went to school and then in America in high school and she got married to my dad when she was 18 or 19. So she didn't go to college or anything. Um, but pretty much immediately after they got married, she had like a few jobs. Um, she worked in an office. She used to work in hospitality and things like that. Uh, actually recently my mom went back to school and got her degree and now she's doing, um, uh, medical record review and stuff like that, which is really cool. She like always wanted to go to college and never got the chance to. So like a few years ago, she went back and got her degrees, which I was really proud of her for doing that. Um, That's cool. Like a graduate's degree or just getting her her just, she just got like her undergrad. Yeah. Wow. Um, but yeah, I mean, like my family was very much when we say like traditional Lebanese, like the gender roles are like, you know, the man has a job and makes money and then the woman stays at home and takes care of the kids. And that was like, that was pretty much my family in a nutshell is like my dad was the breadwinner and my mom was like the caregiver. So like to kind of see her doing her thing was really exciting for me. Do you have a lot of siblings? I have one younger brother. Um, he's 20. Yeah. And, um, he's still living at home and he's like going to college now. How old are you? Do you mind me asking? I'm 27. 27. I had to pause and take a, yeah. (laughs) So then with the expectation that you're going to work harder than everybody else, get straight A's, what were you driven to do then with all that? I mean, were you pushed by your parents in a certain way or did you have certain aspirations that you got to then choose what you want to do and become excellent at it? Yeah. So that's really interesting because I never like... I feel like a lot of kids, when they're a certain age, they're like, I want to be this when I grow up. And it's like, that's what they work towards. And I never really had that moment. I was more attracted towards like having a certain type of lifestyle. Like I was always like, I want to travel. And I know that I don't want to live in Virginia for the rest of my life. And, but it was never about following a specific career path. Um, I pretty much in high school, I took, I was in like this communications program at school. And so I took like some graphic design classes, some video classes. And I was like, this is really fun. I like doing this. I'm just going to stick with it. And pretty much just like declared my major in college as communications and did that. And then I went to grad school for communications and marketing. Like it never really wavered. I was just kind of like, I'm good at this. I like it. I'm going to stick with it. I never had like giant aspirations. I think at one point I did want to be a lawyer or something like that, but then it wasn't enough for me to like make an intense life change. Also, I think I was very drawn to like the comfort of something that was like within my realm of possibility. Not saying that being a lawyer wasn't, but like, I was never like that ambitious in the sense where I was like, I'm going to drop everything and change my major like last minute or like, yeah, exactly. It was all just like about making logical decisions to like help me get a good job. And that was like what my parents would tell me all the time is like, do something that you're able to get a job because we don't want you to be unemployed. Basically that would be like the worst thing ever. And in hindsight, you still don't have regrets about that. You feel comfortable Um, with your decision-making. 
I mean, I feel like this is also like just to be said about the education system anyways. Like I had no idea what I wanted to do and just having to choose and stick with it. Um, if I had, if I had known that I had other options or if I was able to like wait and assess like possibilities and stuff, I might've changed my mind or picked something else, but yeah, all my choices were really driven by logic and like, I would research the job market and like jobs and stuff like that. And it was all very like, not me being super ambitious about like my passions and stuff like that. What are your passions? Um, travel. I really love traveling, um, writing. So, which is cool because that's pretty much what I do for a living now is write and art. I do. I used to paint a lot when I had like a home base and I could have like, giant canvases and things like that. Um, so I don't paint as much anymore, which I probably could get back into it if I just bought some paint. Mm, it doesn't seem that hard. Um, yeah, actually, so I <laughs> a funny side story is I got into art school. Um, so the college I went to, VCU, is actually like one of the top art schools in the country. And I pretty much decided not to go to art school because I was like, I'll probably never be able to get a job with an art degree. So I just kind of like wrote that off. Which is still true. I'm glad I didn't go to art school because I definitely could have just like, I could still achieve the things I would have been able to achieve had I gone to art school. Um, but whenever I think back on that, I'm like, if my parents had really just encouraged me a little bit to like follow a non like linear path, then I probably could have like had a totally different outcome after college. Yeah. What do you think it would have been though? Um, it probably would have been me being unemployed and having an art degree. Struggling artist. Probably. Okay. Yeah. Um, but like knowing what I know now as an entrepreneur, it's like you can pretty much take any skill and make it profitable if you know the right people or like do the right, the right marketing. Yeah. When did the travel bug bite you? Like, it does, sorry, it doesn't sound like you were like taking trips to Europe and like South America with your family growing up. Am I completely off? No. Um, it was more just having really intense wanderlust. So like my family, we pretty much never traveled. We would fly back and forth to California pretty much every year. Cause, um, my mom's family still lived out there. And, um, the first time I really traveled is I went to Lebanon in 2006, which, um, and remembers the news from 2006, like a giant war broke out in Lebanon that year while we were there, which was really intense and kind of scarring. Um, but like the thing with immigrants is like, they don't travel places other than like the place they came from and kind of back home. That's like a huge generalization, but like a lot of people that I've talked to, like, yeah, totally. Like people just go back to their country and visit and then don't really travel anywhere. Cause it's like, especially if you have a job and you're taking time off, it's like you want to make the most of that. So I'm just going to use all that time to go back and like visit family. Um, so I really just was like, aching to see new things all the time. And, um, we went to Mexico, I went to Mexico one time with my family, but it was just like some resort in Cancun. It's not really Mexico at all. Um, and then it wasn't really until I probably, yeah, it wasn't really until after I graduated college that like, I really started traveling a lot on my own and trying to figure out how to turn this into a lifestyle. Cause I was like, if I'm going to travel, I don't want it to be for like, five days out of time in between jobs or like taking all my vacations and just like exhausting all of my time to travel. Like that was just so unappealing to me. 
is having to ration those days out because of an employer and things like that. So it was all pretty much just like me trying to figure out a way to fund a new lifestyle that would allow me to travel. I would love to go into psychology of that because that epiphany is interesting when you really break down like where you, your creativity goes yeah. when you start thinking ways to do that. Because I think, you know, for me, I had the same thought where it's like, well, then what jobs exist out there? And automatically, I think many people go to like, oh, I'll be a travel agent yeah, or something like this. When did you start really getting into like, there's other ways to do it rather than just the obvious of travel agent, which travel agents don't even travel when you find out really, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, can you talk about where your mind was going when you decided, I want to make a life out of traveling and make money on the road? Yeah. So I had met a few people who were like freelancing and this was still, this was probably in like 2011, 2012, where it was a thing, but it wasn't as mainstream as it is now to like be a freelancer. And I think part of the reason is like the job market was really crappy and like people were just trying to find ways to make extra money. But I pretty much, I had a really terrible mindset back then. So I was like really quiet and shy, which like I still kind of am now, but I'm able to like push that aside to actually like get shit done. Um, but as soon as freelancers would start telling me about their process, about like prospecting clients and like talking to people and making sales, like all of that would just overwhelm me to the point where I'm like, I can't do this. I'm never going to do this. Um, so I was trying to, <laughs> I actually had a bunch of little side jobs, like, like early on. So I had an Etsy shop where I was like creating designs and selling them on Etsy. I used to buy, um, secondhand clothes, like really nice secondhand clothes. I would go thrifting all the time. And then like sell them. Um, I had, I would have like a online shop where I would sell like used clothing, like vintage, vintage clothing, I guess you could say. Um, pretty much I was just trying new things to make money and like all of them made me a tiny bit of money, but not enough that I could actually like afford to travel. So this was a side hustle. Did you have a nine to five while you were doing Yeah. So things? during this time I had a nine to five, which was what pretty much. So as soon as I graduated, undergrad, I went into grad school and I had a job full time. I was doing both simultaneously. And my first job was at this like tech, it was a SaaS company. It was um, an educational software company. So I was um, a marketing manager there and was like super entry level. I think I was making like less than 30 grand a year, but I was so excited because I was like, it's a salary and I have health insurance. And it was like all those shiny things that like a college student kind of like hopes that they'll get as soon as they graduate. But, and I actually ended up working there for like three years, which is kind of mind blowing when I think about it. Cause it was awful. It was like my office was, so I had an office, which was cool. And I was like, at first really excited about having an office. And then it was probably like a nine by nine box with no windows and a door that I would keep closed all the time. And I would pretty much just spend all day in there and like working or on Facebook. <laughs> it's a little bit of both. I would work. Um, the work would never take me as long as they thought it would. And so I would have so much downtime. And in that downtime, I was always like either looking for new jobs or like trying to yeah find different ways to make money. I also watched a lot of Netflix, which I'm like, I probably could have ran another separate business at my job during the time that I was just like watching Netflix because I didn't have much to do. That would have been a good hustle right there. Yeah. Yeah. Like For all you listeners out there who a lot of time at work, start your side hustle. Exactly. And 
I mean, it was also like, yeah, if I had known then what I know now, it would be different. But I think all of that needed to happen to like have that awakening moment to get to where I am now. Um, cause on, I was like, I was super young. I think I was like 21, 22 when I had that job. And so I was like, not thinking about like the real hard work and effort that I needed to put in to like create a sustainable business. That was not, I was just like, I need to make money immediately so that I can quit my job and do new things. It wasn't like, Oh, let me invest in my future and like start creating content or like things like that. It was, it was always just like, how can I make money as fast as possible? Which clearly didn't work out and usually never does. So. So when you were in this job and then you decided to start your side hustles, were you Googling ideas or were they just coming to you and then you would go down that path? It was kind of like they would come to me. They would come to me really naturally. And it was mostly for me seeing other people doing things. And I'm like, oh, I can do that. That's so like that concept is so simple. Like the concept of selling things on Etsy was just like really mind blowing to me how relatively simple it was to sell things on Etsy. I'm not saying like DIY and making things is simple, but like to start your own online store, you just like have to sign in with Google. And it was that simple. And, um, I was creating, uh, digital downloads. So like I was like creating a design in illustrator or an InDesign and like things that a lady would print and hang in her kitchen, you know, like little cheesy quotes and things like that. And people would literally just download, would buy the PDF for $5 and download it. And it was like zero overhead on my part other than me creating this design. And so I took that model because I saw so many people doing it. Like there was this one shop that I followed that had like hundreds of thousands of sales. And I'm like, $5 a sale, that's decent. And it's something that you're creating once and people can just download and print themselves. So like you would literally take a quote. Yeah. And put it on a little thing, like in a PDF. Yeah. Like people download and they frame it and put it on their wall. Yep. So I would, like, yeah, I would create, yep, exactly what you said. I would create the quote. They would download it. It would come in like five different sizes, which was just like me resizing the same quote five different ways. And they would download the bundle. And yeah, I had like detailed instructions on like sites that could go to, to have it printed and things like that. And yeah, I was like, no one is going to buy this, but people, a few people actually bought it. It was. You're making what, a hundred bucks a month? Like. I mean, I think I made like a hundred bucks total, like okay. the whole time. Um, I was also like not really doing any marketing. I was, I was very much in the mindset of like, oh, I'm going to create things and people are just going to start buying them. And like, that's it, which is so wrong. And I do marketing. So like, I should have known that that was so wrong, but, um, it was like, it was a learning curve, but yeah, I mean, I think about things like that. It's like, if I'd stuck to it and known then what I know now how to market it, like it could have been something huge, but also, it wasn't really fulfilling. I always kind of felt like I was scamming people. Even though I wasn't, it just felt like this is too easy for me to be making money this way. Which I guess is another like thing that you're raised to think is that making a lot of money has to be really difficult. So when you make money easily, it's like there must be something wrong with what I'm doing right now. Which is something I'm still kind of learning. Oh, me too. Yeah. Like I battle with that. You yeah. Know? Like not that what I do is easy, but I do feel sometimes like that mindset of like, it needs to be hard for me to make the kind of money that I want to make in life and yeah. struggle. I need to have that story. Like I was, you know, working 14 hour days for three years straight. And I had this conversation recently with a like kind of a business coach. He said like, why, why does it have to be like that? He's like, the money I make nowadays is so easy for me. And it's not that I've been working hard to get these skills. I just changed my mind about it. Yeah. And that really rang 
true to me. Like that sounded like more of a path I want to go down. Yeah. Um, I went through like a similar coaching thing and the coaches I was working with were pretty much like, there are, there's so much money out there. There's so many people that have money to spend that like if you have skills, making money should not be an issue. Like you just need to find the people that are willing to give you money for your skills. And there are always people out there. Think of how many people are out there. There are going to be people. And especially with the reach we have now with yeah. you know, the internet, like we can tap into so many pools of cash. Yeah. Um, so with that time period in which you, you know, you start your high side hustles, you had the nine to five. It sounds like you were, you were in that hustle for like three or four years. And then did you just go full solo freelancer after that? Or how'd you get to where you're at right now? Today? Yeah. Okay. So it was a bit of a journey, um, and totally a nonlinear one, which is usually what ends up happening. But so the job that I talked about before the SaaS company, I worked there for about three years. I ended up quitting and I was like, this is going to be my moment. I'm going to quit and I'm going to do my thing. And it was just like, that was just going to be my time to shine. Yeah. So empowered. I like handed in my two weeks notice. I was like, I'm going to travel. And, um, I did. So I handed in my two weeks notice. And then that whole year I left my job in July. So no, before that I left my job in May. And then that whole summer I traveled Europe. Um, on pure savings. Or yeah. were you making money? On pure savings. Okay. So, oh no, actually, so I did have a tiny side hustle. I was writing travel articles for this website for like $15 an article, which is hilarious now that I think about it. It's like, I might as well have just not been making any money at all. Um, but yeah, so I, w- I was traveling on pure savings. Um, I traveled for, I traveled from June until let's say August And then I came back to the States and I was like the whole time I was looking for jobs at that point, I was really focused on trying to land a remote job because the entrepreneur thing was never, it didn't seem realistic and it wasn't really something that I was like interested in pursuing at the time. And so I was just applying for a ton of remote jobs. I was like on all these remote job boards. I was paying actually a lot of money to like advertise myself um, on LinkedIn and things like that. And yeah, traveling at that time in October of that year. So like a few months later, I did a cross country road trip. So I was still traveling and my goal was kind of to freelance throughout that time. So I was pitching myself as a freelance writer and I had like a few of these like $20 jobs here and there, but nothing really stuck, which makes sense because I wasn't really putting all of my effort into it. Um, I really just wanted to travel and it was kind of just like a turn my brain off and do it thing. And yeah, so I did that until October. We drove from Richmond to Los Angeles in the month of October. Um, My grandparents live in Orange County. So I ended up staying with them for about a month and I was trying to find jobs in California and I was still, I was like really all over the place about what I really wanted to do. I was just like, I don't want to live in Virginia anymore. I need to do something different. So I went over there, didn't really work out, ended up flying back to Richmond. And then a few weeks later, I actually got a job in Richmond. So I like just applied to a bunch of jobs at that point I was just out of money. And so I was like, okay, well, I need to get a job now. And this freelancing thing isn't working out. So I ended up getting offered a job at an architecture firm in Richmond, which I was really excited about because I really love design and it was a company that I had kind of like had on my radar for a while. So I thought like this one is going to be different and it's going to be 
great. I'm going to make it work. And it was probably like three days into the new job. And I was just like, this is a terrible mistake. Like I should not have done this. And I ended up staying there for almost two years. Yeah. Yeah. Your jaw dropped. That's like when I think back, I'm just like, what was I doing? Why? Why did it take me so long to like make big decisions in my life? But yeah, I ended up staying there for almost two years and it was so evident that I hated being there. Like I'm pretty sure everyone that encountered me like knew that I hated being there. Um, I kind of got more or less demoted they like changed up our department and things like that. So I was like, yep, this is the time where I'm out of here again. Like we're going to try this one more time. And after I left that job a month later, I went to Bali. I was pretty much still searching online for like ways to make money online and travel. And at this point it was like kind of gotten, it had kind of become more mainstream. So like remote year was a thing. And, um, I was like really into the idea of doing remote year Um, but I didn't have a remote job. So I was like, I need to find a remote job so I can like do this program. And I stumbled across this other program called why fly nomads. And it was pretty much like fly to Bali and like meet other digital nomads and learn how to start your own business and then like live location independent. I was like, yep, done. Um, pretty much blew all of my savings into that program and went to Bali for two weeks, like learned a shit ton it actually didn't really learn like skills. It was really just a mindset shift of like being in Bali, meeting people who are doing this. I met so many freelancers, so many people who had just randomly started their own businesses and were now successful. And it was kind of just like that moment where I was like, okay, so many people are doing this. I can do this too. Like, it's going to be fine. I just need to work on my mindset, work on like using my network and just like meeting people and it was, so it was worthwhile. The it money was you spent. definitely worthwhile. It was, yeah. Like I, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be here today if I hadn't done that. Also like Bali was not even on my radar. I was just, that was not the place that I would think to go if I'm going to work independently and like travel. Asia as a whole was not really on my radar. Um, which now I don't know why, cause it's great. I love it here, but yeah, I mean, it's all just like, you know, the romanticized, like, I'm going to go live in Europe. And like, there's so many other places. But yeah, so I went to Bali. And yeah, that was really game changing for me. So I was there for two weeks. And I came back because um, it was just I had booked a two way ticket. I actually probably would have stayed if it wasn't for my friend who was getting married like a few days after I had flown back. So I, I flew back. Because um, you believed in the model at this point, you knew you could make money. If you would have stayed, you felt you could have sustained yourself with your freelance uh I felt like it was where I needed to be. Okay. Like it wasn't the fact that I could sustain myself. It was the fact that like, I don't think anything's going to happen unless I'm in this environment, which ended up being true because I came back to the States and I was like, okay, I'm going to take everything that I learned in Bali and like apply it, but still live at home and just like do all these things. And it, worked a little bit. Like I was sending out a bunch of pitches and I was applying for all these freelance gigs and stuff, but it was like, it was still something about not being surrounded by other people doing the same thing is really demotivating. And so like, at this point I was living at home with my parents. And so my parents saw me just sitting at home all day, every day on my computer. And so in their eyes, they're like, you're not working. This is not a job. Like you need to do something with your life. They didn't actually say that, but I kind of like, 
I was sensing it. It's also probably kind of just like me being really insecure about not having a job and just staying home all day. But yeah, so I was in, I went back to Virginia a few months after that. I went to California and I actually stayed in California for a few months. And I was like, if I'm a, if I can make it freelancing in California, that would be great. Like maybe I'll just move to California instead. And I like went and stayed with my grandparents for a bit. And it was all kind of just like me taking the easy way out, like time and time again. So like went from living with my parents to living with my grandparents. I was like, this is not the motivation I need to like make major shifts in my life. So, um, in March. Yeah. So the timeline goes in November, I went to California. This is 2018. This is 2017. Okay. Um, so, uh, November, 2017, I go to California, stay there until about January, fly back to Richmond. Um, and then I booked a one-way ticket to Bali in March. So me and a friend that I had met doing the, the Wi-Fi program, we were both like, let's just fucking do it. Like enough, enough is enough. Like we've been talking about this for months. Neither of us had any money or any jobs or prospects really, but we were like, we just have to do this and we'll figure it out. And so we literally booked a one-way ticket. And then the two of us moved to Bali in April. And for like the first month ish, we were sharing a room. We were just like pretty much doing whatever it takes to like not run out of money and just make it there. And pretty much as soon as I got to Bali, like things kind of just started falling into place. Like I landed a few more clients. One client I'd been working with wanted to start working, doing like more long-term projects. So I had more stability in that sense. And just like meeting all the people that I was able to meet, like everything just kind of like clicked. I was like, okay, this is exactly like I made the right choice, which is funny because the first like few weeks that I was there, I was like, I made a terrible decision. Like it did not go well. The first night I got there, like my bags got lost for like five days. So I had no clothes. And then it was just a totally new country. I got pulled over by the cops like the second day that I was there, which was terrifying. I was like learning how to ride a motorbike and it's just like things were not going well. I lost my debit card. I think I left it in an ATM and I had no backups. And it was just like literally everything that could go wrong was going wrong in those first few weeks. But then, and I was ready to pick up and leave. But I'm glad I didn't. That's amazing. Yeah. Great trial by fire. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Um, can you just give the audience perspective on when you say no money, everyone says, I didn't have any money. I just did it. Like, let's talk numbers. Like, what did you actually yeah. have in your savings in your bank when you landed in Bali? When I landed in Bali, less than $1,000. So you got a one-way ticket <laughs> yeah. and you had less than $1,000 and you were just going to make this work. Yeah. And two weeks of hell, it sounds like. Yeah. Losing debit cards. Cops probably extorting yeah. you for I'll whatever, put it into even bucks. more perspective, like less than $1,000 and like tens of thousands of dollars in debt, like between student loans and credit cards from just like having been unemployed for so long. Um, so how do you manage that then? I mean, now you got... So, okay. So after two weeks, things start getting going. Yeah. Would you still have the debt that you got to pay every month? Yeah. So, but, so you're starting to cover your bills? Yes. So like that was the great thing about Bali is everything is super affordable. So like even with like the, let's say thousand dollars I had in my bank, I was like, I can probably stretch this for at least two months. So it's like two months of runway for me to find like another form of income or just make more money. And aside from that, I was living with a roommate. So we were able to like cut down on expenses a lot. Um, I actually brought 
So like I bought ramen noodles in America and packed them in my suitcase because I was like, if I run out of money, I'm going to have these like 10 cent noodles that I can eat and it's going to be fine. Um, yeah. And it, it like when I said everything fell into place, it really did like, and I don't want to say magically because I know I had been putting things in place before and like working up to it. But yeah, I mean, I was like making enough money that I could live in Bali and pay my bills, which is, was pretty much the goal the whole time. And I mean, nothing extravagant. Like I was living in like a little shitty room basically, but it was great. And I loved it. And, um, it's like, I'm here. And honestly, I feel like that's a lot of the reason why people live in Bali. It's like, you don't really run into like a ton of high rollers in Asia. I mean, you might, and there are those people, but like people generally live here because it's inexpensive and pretty convenient. So I feel like that also like helped a bit is that like everyone else is kind of in the same boat. Like a lot of the people that I met were also still struggling, still trying to like get their shit together. And even though it seemed like they did, everyone is still like trying to figure things out. And that was the thing that was really missing from my life in the States is like that, like vulnerability and like openness to try new things and fail is like so prevalent in like the entrepreneur community that it's, uh, it's really grounding and you don't get that at all with people working the nine to five. It's like everyone is just trying to appear better than how they really are. And here it's like people are doing great things and they're still just like, Oh, I don't have my shit together. I don't know what I'm doing. And it's like, even from like this, like get shit done thing that we just did, like every, like there's so many extremely successful people and everyone is so humble and still so down to learn. And like, is still really just trying to figure it out like the rest of us. Totally. Yeah. I mean, they have enough money that, I mean, they're not stressed about money, but they are exactly. trying to figure out other aspects of their business, their life, whatever, which I found so beautiful and yeah. magical as well. Like you are the sum of the five people you spend the most time with, you yeah. know, and like this last 10 days has just been magical for me as well. But I do the same thing. Like, like I've been swinging the bat so many times the last four years, you know, like you making money, hitting the road, trying to make it work, failing, going back, making money, hitting the road. And this time I feel like I'm kind of got a foundation under my feet that I could probably keep staying just like you stayed in Bali. Like I could yeah. probably make another month's worth of um, income to keep myself here for another month and then another month. And yeah, we'll see where it goes. But um, with your newfound kind of freedom, your cash flow, you are here now in Thailand. Where are you? I mean, are you just surviving off the clients that you got initially from Bali? Or do you have more clients coming in now? Like, what's your financial situation like? Yeah. Do you have any stress about having to go home the next month? Or can you continue to sustain this? Um, I can definitely continue to sustain this. Chiang Mai is insanely affordable, which is pretty much like the only thing that's keeping me afloat right now. Um, not to sound dramatic. That probably sounded really dramatic. Mm -hmm. But it's uh, it's really not. It's um, I have a few clients. So I actually really don't enjoy doing client work, which has in the back of my mind, I feel like I've been not prospecting new clients just because I don't want to do more client work, but I know I need to, like I make enough money to live and sustain myself and like go out to eat and stuff. But it's definitely like, I need to start thinking more long-term for the future. And like right now it's a very heavy exchange of my time for my money. Cause I do service. So I do content marketing and I'm pretty much writing articles and like doing strategic plans for people. And like, it's very time intensive. And so now I'm kind of trying to switch more into creating passive income, 
which I don't like the word passive income because it's like a shit ton of work that goes into it before it gets passive. passive. It's never passive. But yeah, so now I'm kind of trying to build my own assets and building a course and working on like a few other things that I can have, um, to sell people rather than my time. So can you actually uh, take us the audience through like your skill set, where you advertise it, how you capture clients? Like you, you talked about freelancing, you talked about content marketing for companies. Like what does that all really mean? You yeah. Know, like, how does that translate into someone putting money into your account? Sure. Um, so actually, I got into content marketing pretty randomly. I My background is marketing and communications. So when I left my job, I was pretty much like, okay, I'm just going to do marketing freelance. And so I was like pitching. I was pretty much when I say pitching, I mean like sending out cold emails or reaching out to people who have expressed interest in like needing my services or things like that. Um and when I would pitch them marketing, it was all very vague and broad and confusing for them. So I started and the like, I just got the advice to niche down, um, which is really good advice. And so I started just pitching very specific services to specific people. So I was pitching graphic design services, social media services, like copywriting, content marketing, and content is the thing that kind of stuck the most. Um, most of the people that I talked to needed content. So I was like, I'm just going to go all in on the content marketing side and stick with that. Not because that's like what I like doing the most, but that's where I recognize the most need. But actually I really do like doing content. Um, I'm glad that that's kind of like organically what happened because I really love writing my initial, like when I was doing freelancing at the beginning, I was like, I want to be a freelance writer. If I can just get paid to write, that would be ideal. And it's funny now, sometimes I have to like take a step back because I complain all the time about having to write so much, but I'm like, this is exactly what I asked for. Like I pretty much get paid just to write on my laptop in Thailand and like, it's actually a really great life. So I need to be more grateful (laughs) that I get to do this and make money. Um, but yeah, so I actually like my pricing model and things have shifted a lot since I started. I've learned so much, like at first I was charging by the word and then I was charging hourly. And now I pretty much charge like a flat rate depending on how much content people want and like the length of the project and things like that. Um, so if we want to get like even more in the weeds, I pretty much audit companies, uh, content strategies. So, um, whatever their main platform is, if that's their blog or social media or like creating videos, I go through and see, what's working and what's not working. And I do audience research to find out what their audience actually likes engaging with, what other people in their industry are doing that's performing really well. And I create a new strategy for them. And um, if it's written content, I do a lot of the writing myself. So when I'm auditing blogs, I usually end up doing the whole audit, putting together a content calendar, and then a lot of times managing the content calendar and just writing all of the content myself. And, and these are subject matters that you don't always have an expertise in. Right. Like these companies say like, Hey, we're SpaceX. We need you to write some content for it. A little bit. So in the beginning I was kind of taking on just whatever. And yeah, I ended up writing like 300 pages of content for like this appliance company in Australia one time. And I was like, this is the worst job ever. Um, but actually most of my clients now are like their content is about business and marketing, which works out really nicely for me. Cause I get to write about business and marketing. Um, which is my background. So it's not, it's not as 
research intensive as it used to be, or as it would be if I was writing about something that I don't know anything about. Um, and actually I was doing some masterminding a few weeks ago and my group was recommending to actually hire writers who are subject matter experts in those things so that I can just manage the process. And so that it's not as time intensive of me having to relearn new subjects to write about it. It's a good idea. Yeah. Really interesting. So like with uh, the content that you're writing and the packages that you're putting together and the clients that you have, it's just keeping you afloat right now. Are you, I know you have other like things in the, in the works. Like, so your website is Sarah, Sarah And you are selling what to these people who find you? Like you have a course that's coming out. What are they going to get when they buy your course? Like, yeah. So, so right now on my website, um, I'm pretty much selling my services. So I do offer consulting, um, content consulting, like can be a one-time thing where we just audit, I'll just audit someone's entire website and all of their content. Um, I also do training. So a lot of times companies have staff in house that, uh, are in charge of content, but that's probably not their expertise. Um, so I go in and train the staff on like how to manage the entire content process from like, all online, all online. Yeah. Um, and then I also do the actual fulfillment so I can just be a one person content team. So I'll just pretty much, it's like a done for you thing where the person doesn't even have to really have a hand in the process other than just approving the content. Um, so what my course is going to teach, my course is pretty much, it's kind of all encompassing. Actually, I'm still kind to, I'm still trying to work out the specifics. I'm like very deep in creating the modules right now. And I'm like, is this something people would be interested in? But it's pretty much how to use content to grow a business. Um, and it covers everything from like, what types of content should you be creating? What platforms should you use? Like frequency of content. Um, I even have a section in there about outsourcing content. So if you don't want to do it, like what are the positions that you should hire for? And like, what should you look for in those specific types of people? And then content promotion. So a lot of times people create content and then no one ever sees it and they don't know why. And it's because they're not promoting it the right way. So I cover a lot about how to get your content in front of the right people. And then there's a few sections in there about SEO, which, um, I'm kind of, I don't want to say anti SEO, but I feel like people get very bogged down in SEO of content that it like loses its personability and like becomes not for people and it's just for Google. And so, but I just cover kind of the basics of like how to optimize your posts for SEO without making them sound like a robot wrote them so that it's still content for people and not for Google. Um, yeah, I want it to be a really awesome, all encompassing resource for people who really don't know that much about content marketing, know that they need it and want to use it to grow a business because I think it's so powerful to create things that your audience wants to see. And it creates not only customers initially, but it creates like lifelong brand advocates. So when you have really good content and really good branding, it makes people remember you and it makes people trust you. And then they're more likely to spend money with you in the long term. It's not just like a quick sale. So I need you. We should talk more about. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. <laughs> What would you say to somebody or what, what is the biggest lesson you've learned from this process? I mean, you landed in Bali with less than a thousand bucks. You're now in Thailand. You have enough income at this point to sustain your life here. I mean, it sounds like you're not necessarily doing you know trips back and forth yet no, to go yeah. home. You're not there yet, but you're at a sustainable sort of cash flow yeah. to be here. What's the biggest lesson you've learned thus far? And what so, would you say to somebody who maybe wants to 
follow in your footsteps? Yeah. My biggest lesson was you have to just fucking do it. That's like, sounds so obvious, but, but I'll explain. So it's like, there's never going to be a right time and there's never going to be like, no one cares as much about your journey and your process as you do. And so I feel like for me, for the longest time, I was like waiting for someone to be like, just do it. It's your time. Go right now. Or like I was waiting for like the perfect job to come up or like all the pieces to fall into place in order to do it. But that's totally the opposite of how it works. Like you have to do it and put yourself out there. And then that creates space for all of the things that you want in life. So yeah, like for me, I would say you have to take the leap, like probably when you're the least ready, because it's, you're never going to be more ready than you are right now. If it's something that you really, really want. Beautifully said. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you, Sarah, for coming on and just, again, inspiring me to really get my act together, work on my marketing strategy, get the information that I've created online out to the right people who consume it and will get a lot from it. If you like this episode, please pull out your phone and rate it and then comment on it. It really helps me within iTunes. If you're a first-time listener, please subscribe. If you want to follow me on Instagram, you can do it at Misfits and Rejects. And if you want to support Misfits and Rejects, you can do it on Patreon at Patreon. I really hope you're getting as inspired and psyched on these episodes as I am. Like I said, she was just came into my life at the right time, really getting me motivated to refocus a few things because I've created what I consider very valuable content. And I do have a lot of clients who agree with me. And it's just trying to get out there, get it out there and get the right people to consume it and then purchase the things that I have for sale. So that's the goal. That's the direction I'm moving in. I hope you're moving in a forward direction as well, reevaluating your life situation, taking those steps to go design the life that you've always dreamed of. Thank you again for joining me. I appreciate you. I love delivering this content to you. I think you all are so very, very beautiful. Happy holidays. See you next time. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.